there's definitely some overlap between what tracing can do for you and what profiling can do for you. In my ideal world, like if I was building a large system today, I would probably use both and they would kind of complement each other. I would say there's a small percentage of people who are already familiar with profiling tools and maybe they're already doing some profiling in production, but they do it on an ad hoc basis. Hi, I'm Charity Majors. And I'm Shelby Spees. And you're listening to Observability Cast, or OlliCast, a fortnightly series about the art and science of making production systems observable, easy to maintain, and appropriately reliable. OlliCast is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OlliCast. So one way to explain it would be to say that it's just like profiling, but it runs on your production servers. But it's continuous. It's continuous. <laughs> so let's dive deeper yeah. there. So what is profiling? Right. So profiling, you know, classic uh, profiling would be, you know, looking at your program stack trace over time and seeing where the, your program spends time while it's running. Mm-hmm. So continuous profiling would be the same thing, but in production environment, running 24-7, and you can go back and look at that data. So you're basically running code that wraps the current code, right? That, and historically, the reason that we haven't run continuous profiling everywhere has been because of the performance hit. Correct, yeah. Has that changed? Yeah, so when we talk to people, they usually are concerned about two things. One is the performance hit, and the other thing is that they think that all this data would take up too much space. Yeah, And what we found was, well, for the performance hit, in the past decade or so, there's been a lot of advancements in sampling profiling technology. Mm. And the way those sampling profilers work is they look at stack traces multiple times a second, like 100 times a second or something like that. And uh, that is much better than, you know, like getting into some like method invocation calls or something like that. Trying to wrap every single call from every single code. Exactly. Like the GDB example is like my class, you know, like if all else fails, you could attach GDB to a running process in prod, mm-hmm. but you couldn't do it for long because it would, mm-hmm. it would just crash the server pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that. Yeah. And so that's how we kind of are solving the CPU issue. The other part of the equation and the part that we think is very important is that if you just, you know, collect a bunch of profiles and you just store them somewhere, it's very quickly going to become cost prohibitive for you to do so because those profiles just take a lot of space. So what we did was we designed this storage engine to be very well tailored to storing this continuous profiling data. And so that allows us to store data from lots of applications, many, many servers. You store the raw snapshots or do you store like aggregates of them? Kind of both. So we profile 10 seconds at a time. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the resolution, the minimum resolution that we can get right now. And then we also pre-aggregated so that you could look at, for example, one month of data or one week of data. Mm-hmm. So now would be a great time for you to introduce yourself. Right. So my name is Dmitry Filimonov. I'm one of the maintainers of Pyroscope. And Pyroscope is an open source continuous profiling platform. Do you have a company built around that or is it an open source project at this point? Right. So it started as an open source project, but we quickly realized that, you know, we could build a company around it. And so, yes, we are also a company. 
And I guess I would be one of the co-founders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but right now we're definitely mostly focusing on the open source part of it. We're trying to get more people involved, trying to create more integrations with uh, different runtimes and things like that. You're basically trying to do what the last generation of tracing technologies, open source tracing technologies were doing, right? To get a leg up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. How many people work there at Pyroscope? So there are two of us, uh-huh. Ryan and I, we're the co-founders, and we hired a few contractors, and we're hoping to convert them into employees sometime soon. The Pyroscope.io webpage, by the way, it's really cool. I hadn't heard of it, so I pulled it up just as we were sitting down with Dimitri, and it's beautiful. Just Of course, it's rainbow, so you know that speaks directly to my, my love language, but it's got this beautiful rainbow you know, flow graph. It reminds me of a lot of stuff that Brendan Gregg used to do. Yeah, we definitely were inspired a lot by um, what Brendan Gregg has done, both uh, in terms of you know flame graphs. But it is so beautiful. You know, I look at it and I'm like, it's also a little deceptive because if you would like to wade into the controversy over sampling or not, like you know, I, I feel like it's a bit of a bad word to a lot of people, and yet it's absolutely necessary. And from my perspective, anytime you're dealing with something interesting enough to have problems, it's almost a necessity. Like you cannot run GDB on every single like piece of code out there. You, you have to look for what matters. So what's your guys' approach to sampling? I agree. Yeah. I think you do have to do sampling where it matters, but I think it's very important to do it in the right places. Correct. Um, so we do sampling for, you know, this profiling part, but we try to avoid doing it in terms of like Maybe some products I saw, they only profile on like 10% of machines or something like that. Or maybe like in the beginning of the minute, but not at the end of the minute. (laughs) We try to avoid that kind of sampling because we think that those signals you might lose and that's not great. But for profiling, what we found from like experience, you know, doing profiling before is that this kind of sampling aspect of it, where you look at stack traces many times per second, that sampling is usually fine and that gives you enough kind of data to make decisions to understand how your system works. Yeah, it all kind of comes back to the the fact that you've got to know your own data. You've got to know your own system. You can't just like blindly adopt someone else's sampling algorithms or choices or whatever because you need to know what you're trying to do in order to know how to sample in order to get the right results. But it's not really a choice because it is cost prohibitive and it is like network saturating. And it, it, you know, like a lot of people talk about, you know, observability and they're like, oh, well, when are you going to like include like every method call? And I'm like, well, never. Like there's a separation of concerns there. You know, observability is very much about, you know, understanding where in the system is the code that I need to understand or debug. And you're dealing with a different like, order of magnitude of data volume when you jump down into the like sub-process layer and start dealing with stuff there, which that feels like something like Honeycomb's Pyroscope would be very complementary in that regard because, you know, once you've figured out where in this system in the code you need to care about is using Honeycomb, you know, then you might want to jump into something like a Pyroscope in order to like profile it at a very low level. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. We, well, first of all, I also think like, you know, as these systems scale, Storage becomes very important, and you have to really understand the data you're working with. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time developing the storage solution so that yeah. we can scale it cost efficiently. Yeah, you can't just shovel that shit into MySQL and crash your fingers. Yeah. It's not going to work, kids. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 
Yeah, it is kind of amazing what you can get with a custom-built storage system. You know, I spent my entire career telling people, don't write a database. (laughs) But sometimes you just got to write a database. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And we see, we actually see some products um, experimenting in this space as well. And and actually, there's some commercial solutions too. And just by looking at their pricing structure, I can already tell that you can tell what choices they've made in the storage layer. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like observe anyone who's like making their pricing decisions based on how many queries you're allowed to issue has made a wrong turn somewhere, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not what you want to be incentivizing people to do. Yeah. So I actually learned about Pyroscope because I met Ryan Perry through the observability tag at the CNCF. That was actually my first, inter- well, not my first, but it was my first introduction as continuous profiling being like like a fundamental like observability concept and, and practice. Um, Liz had mentioned it in you know, passing before. And I was like, that sounds like really low level Liz thing, the kind of stuff she geeks out about. And so now like, you know, having continuous profiling, especially like with Pyroscope and and similar efforts, we're reaching a point where it doesn't have to be cost prohibitive. And I think Charity started to touch on this too, is where do you draw the line? Where When do you stop tracing and start profiling? And do you think that they're going to merge at some point? Yeah. Is there overlap? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, these are great questions. I think it's a Venn diagram, and uh, I think there's definitely some overlap between what tracing can do for you and what profiling can do for you, but it's not like a one circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like the nature of the data is also slightly different. I, in my ideal world, like if I was building a large system today, I would probably use both, and uh, they would kind of complement each other for some. I mean, it's kind of like the the nature of the tools here is that when you've got the right tool for the problem that you have, it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Just You just look at it and you're like, there it is, right? But if you have a problem that's like magic, when you have a, you know, a continuous profiling tool, um, you might not find it when you have tracing and, and vice versa. And the art of knowing in, in advance which tool is going to be magic for your problem is like half of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what my question is, is like, what's the level of granularity? Because I, I've totally seen people with like 4,000 span traces on a single like Rails request. Um, and it's just including all of the Rails like metadata database queries that it talks to itself about. And it's like, I don't know if all of that is relevant, right. you know, on every request. It isn't until it is. <laughs> it isn't until it is, you know? And so it's like, do you want to spend all your event data like on, on big long traces or, you know, do you cut off your traces and then direct that to a continuous profiling tool? And the whole philosophy of it isn't until it is, is I think where sampling does its magic, yeah. right? Like if you're, if you're sampling correctly, if you have a sampling strategy that matches, you know, your problem space, mm-hmm. then you aren't storing it until it's meaningful, right? Like it isn't meaningful until it is. And so you don't have to like pay for it until it's there. I think that the holy grail, correct me if I'm wrong, Dimitri, I feel like all of our customers would like the holy grail to be for you to be able to like install something once as a library and like bubble up all of the like almost auto trace um, based on the kind of stuff that comes out of a continuous profiler so that you're, you're getting the the tracing knowledge, you know, at that level of instrumentation level without having to, right now people have to manually insert spans, right? They have to go, I care about this, insert a span, which should be very laborious. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you auto instrumented everything using continuous profiling, it would be too messy. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I feel like there, there's gotta be some convergence at some point that we don't have quite yet figured out. Yeah. 
I see Dimitri smiling, so I really want to hear him say what he's thinking about. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, yeah, I think uh, what customers would like to see is some sort of magical pill where you install one thing, it collects all the data you want, and it ideally even answers the questions like it just tells you how to you know, solve performance issues. Yeah. I don't think we're quite there yet. Maybe one day we'll get there, but uh, certainly... Big question mark. Yeah, big question mark for sure. Because they do. They want magic. And, and uh-huh. what... I have found in my experience is that magic isn't good for you. Once you've like, you've given up that you're like, well, somebody else is going to tell me what to care about. You've sacrificed a lot of your engineering process, right? You've given it over to some magical algorithm Mm -hmm. and and you stopped understanding how it's working and how it works is always a series of trade-offs. And part of getting to a place where you understand the question and the result is, is like getting to a place where first you have to understand the problem. We can try to make things as magical as we can, right? That's the whole philosophy behind, you know, behind Bubble Up, behind our magic instrumentation things. But if we give people too much magic, then they don't have to think about what am I caring about? What am I explicitly caring about and why does it matter? Like you want people to be instrumenting as they write their code with an eye to their future self. What is future going, me going to want to care about based on what I know now? Because you're going to forget what you're caring about while you're writing the code. Future you needs that gift from present you, like telling them this is what you're going to care about because you know this is the point of the code I'm writing. Am I making any sense? Oh yeah, 100%. The way I see it is, you know, our role is to empower people to kind of learn more about their systems and uh, understand them better. And, you know, we provide tools for them to do that. No one else is going to do that for them. There's no magic yet that uh, can do it. Maybe one day, but I think it's far away in the future. The people who really want the magic, who tends to be like the CTOs, the CIOs, the people who wish that they could make their people fungible, Mm -hmm. right? Because in their world, I know I've said this a few times in this podcast, but it was shocking to me to realize that in their world, People come and go, but vendors last forever. And and the vendors who sell them on, just give me $10 million and I'll make it so that your people never have to understand the problems because we'll just make it magical for them. You know, that's a very comforting line to be fed when you're a C-level who's looking to reduce risk. Unfortunately, it's just not true. From my experience, that's what I've seen as well. We're not even trying to uh, go there yet. Maybe one day. I think we should be trying to center the engineer to make the engineer more powerful and, and better at their jobs, but not to remove them from the process of understanding it. Exactly. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to picture, and this is always my experience when when encountering new like developer tooling, is like where does this fit in my workflow? Me as a the, you know engineer like debugging something in prod you know, or I get paged and when do I use this and, and what prompts me to use this and how does it fit in with the other tools I'm using and so I, I guess that's kind of where I'm trying to direct my tracing question is because a lot of the like the exact sort of examples I see of these like flask you know app calls and, and stuff like that is like um, well you can you know, wrap that in a trace or maybe your auto instrumentation wraps that in trace and at what point do I not want that in a trace and I, you know, keep traces at the top level, like service request level. And then at what point do I know, oh, like, you know, basically maybe I'm answering my own question, but, um, oh, I got an error here. Let me go look at the profiles for that chunk of code that we've stored in, in, in Pyroscope. So is that sort of like the flow? Yeah. So I would say in my experience, uh, traces are more useful for when your programs kind of talk to other systems, maybe database calls, or it talks to another service or something like that. Continuous profiling shines when 
your program itself is doing something. Maybe it's taking up, you know, a lot of CPU compressing things yeah. or, you know, there, there's a variety of things that can be. It doesn't hop the network. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, speaking of the whole thing of like, maybe it's too much data. Um, again, from my experience, what I found by using profiling tools was that, and, and flame graphs in particular, flame graphs are great. Uh, I think they allow you to kind of both get a very high level understanding of where the time is spent in your code. And that will help you make decisions on, you know, oh, do we really need this function that, you know, takes up 30% of the time? Maybe yeah. we need to optimize it. Mm-hmm. So I, from my perspective, and, and this is going to reveal a, a hell of a lot of bias in my point, but like, I feel like most of the time engineers should be spending their time in observability land. They mm-hmm. should be looking at, you know, the consequences of their code after they've rolled it out because so much of, you know, especially the more, the farther we go down the microservices road, the more, the more it does limit the, the utility of any individual node's ability to like reflect the performance, right? Um, it becomes much more of a systemic thing, but I feel like it's good hygiene to, do you have people working this up to their CI/CD runs to look for regressions? Because it feels like a thing that to just like affirmative exploration, like going out to just like take a look. Does anything look weird here? Are there any like outliers? Are there any like you know? Oh, that's one color that's just dominating forever. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a good practice to just sometimes go and look for these things before they bite you in the ass. Yeah, exactly. And what is even maybe more interesting here is I, I feel like in many companies, the CI pipeline, you know, as the company grows, as there's more features, more tests, the CI pipeline just takes more time to run, right? Yeah. Without giving more benefit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that that slows everything down, right? Like yeah. your, your whole team's productivity goes down. And so that's where Pyroscope uh, shines too. You can install it on your CI pipeline and then see exactly kind of like where the time is spent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've found people doing the same thing, instrumenting their CI pipeline with Honeycomb, just like looking where all the time is going. Yeah. That's a super compelling, and I think it's something that this has been like our toe in the door for lots of places. I, I think this is a big up and coming use case for all kinds of profiling stuff. But I also feel like, is it useful in staging? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I feel like it's not really. I feel like there's almost no reason to look for it in staging. It should be in production. It should be something that you just have available in case something looks really funky and you can't figure it out with your normal tooling. Is it too expensive to just run it in the background in production everywhere? I So we're trying to make it as cheap as possible, again, both in terms of CPU overhead and the storage part. Yeah. So, and, you know, if I were to kind of answer the question of, like, should you do it in staging? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard of any of our users do that yet. It's hard to see where the value would yeah. be because you need that sort of multi-tenant concurrency, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, users doing all the crazy shit that users do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ideally, you want a lot of traffic. You want the actual system. And that's how you kind of yeah. find issues. Yeah. This is a really good way of finding out problems that, like you said, are inefficiencies in the code that are, you know, could be found a single node. There are lots of inefficiencies though that aren't like, you know, oh, this 400 millisecond request is now taking, you know, 4,000 milliseconds. It's more like this 40 millisecond request is now taking 60 milliseconds, but you multiply that by, you know, 20,000 nodes and oof. And that's not the kind of thing that profiling is going to really help you with. Well, that's an observability problem. I actually maybe uh, maybe I would argue on that. Is there an interface that that allows you to sit on top and aggregate like across all of your nodes, or or is it per node? Yeah, yeah. So that's actually yeah another kind of thing we are 
trying to innovate on, we aggregate all the data from all the different nodes. And so you can look at it. It's actually very, on aggregate, it's really nice to look at. Where it doesn't work so well is, you know, when you have some sort of tail latency, like maybe only a few requests take, I don't know, 4,000 milliseconds, but most of them are doing fine. I think those use cases, continuous profiling is not very good for. But in aggregate, you know, if, like you said, you know, your request time went from 40 to 60 milliseconds, you will actually see it uh, with continuous profiling. Yeah, but will it really stand out? Kind of. So we have this timeline feature. And so in theory, you should be able to see uh, a spike on the timeline thing. And we also have a Mm -hmm. comparison feature. I guess what I'm talking about, though, is is it being additive, like across you know twenty thousand nodes, mm-hmm. adding another twenty milliseconds can be you know a lot. It can generate a lot of extra load, you know, when it's entering a backend system or something like that. Even though on its own, it isn't a problem. Yeah, yeah. So you should be able to see that, and you can also compare uh, within Pyroscope, mm-hmm. like uh, maybe you know the time before you deployed and the time after you deployed, or maybe the time before incident and after things like that. Yeah. What competitors are there to Pyroscope out there? Uh, there's quite a few. So all the major cloud providers now have similar products. Mm-hmm. Uh, both AWS and Google Cloud have those. I don't think Azure has one yet, but... Um, Probably just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Datadog has a continuous profiler too. What is Pyroscope doing differently? So I would say our major advantage is this whole storage uh, engine. You know, it kind of looks like all these other competitors are just taking the profiles, storing them somewhere, and, you know, put like a database on top so you could find profiles kind of easier, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. I mean, it, it, it works, but what we do better is we have this timeline component where you can really zoom in on like a specific time period. You don't have to kind of figure out where to look before you start looking into profiles. So you can like zoom in like to the raw events basically. Yeah, yeah. So you can both kind of look at a, I don't know, a month worth of data, but then you can on the timeline zoom in. What are the trade-offs that that you did made in the storage engine to enable your users to ask different kinds of questions or, or do things differently than other continuous profiling? software? Uh, we tried to make as little trade-offs as possible. So that's why you know we spent a lot of time like building this um, storage engine so that we store symbols separately from the actual profiles. And we also make the querying kind of fast because we pre-aggregate profiles. There are some trade-offs. You know, For example, we do limit the maximum amount of nodes you have on one um, profile. In practice, we haven't seen that kind of affecting much, but I could see maybe for some applications where you have, you know, really a lot of separate functions and like a lot of different subroutines, maybe there that could become a problem. Although that's also configurable. So you can, you know, always adjust that for your use case and it will be a little more expensive. But other than that, yeah, we try to optimize everything as much as possible so that it would work for this specific kind of use case. And so far we're getting Good result. Like, is it a columnar store or like, what does it most resemble? Right. So, like OLAP, OLTP stuff. <laughs> yeah. We actually wrote a blog post that got a lot of attention uh, on uh, Reddit and other uh, news aggregators. And you can find it on our GitHub if you're really interested. But to summarize, you know, we build it on top of a key value storage. So, our thinking is that going forward, we will also adapt it to kind of other 
just any kind of key value storage type thing. But right now we use Badger and it, um, yeah, it's a key value store for your storage. And on top of that, we build a bunch of systems. There's a bunch of trees everywhere that kind of link to each other and allow for this use case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I'm, I guess I'm curious about is like how, because we were, you know, at Honeycomb, like we sort of had to do a lot of work to help educate people about what even is observability and why, you know, tracing doesn't have to be expensive and stuff like that. And so do you find that developers know what just regular profiling even is? Do you find that people do it and then want to do it in production? Or I guess who are your, you know, users and how are you finding like the navigating the market that way? Mm. Yeah, this is a very interesting question. We, you know, I would say yes and no to that. Um, I would say there's a small percentage of people who are already familiar with profiling tools and maybe they're already doing some profiling in production. But the way they usually do it is, you know, they do it kind of on an ad hoc basis. They log into some machine and uh, they run the profiler. And it's usually like a pretty involved process. People always kind of write their own wrapper scripts to kind of automate it. So those are kind of the people who understand the problem the best. And uh, we typically see them uh, responding to it most positively, I guess. But I do think, you know, the, the other part of the question, like, I do think there's still so many companies and so many developers who are not very familiar with profiling tools or observability tools, metrics, tracing. And uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, our kind of collective responsibility to educate them and to show them that this can actually help them. Do you have any great stories about like, you know, outages or problems or, or things that you or your customers have, have overcome using continuous profiling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a few one one story that we like to tell is uh, there was this one company and they had this large pool of servers all kind of doing the same things and they already had a lot of tooling around it. They had all sorts of metrics about latency and a lot of other things. They also had tracing and when they installed Pyroscope, they realized that this one function was taking up 30% of the time and that was a compression function mm-hmm. and they you know, after some debugging, they realized that the compression was turned up to the maximum mm. and they didn't really need it to be at, you know, the maximum level. And so that's an example of where mm-hmm. other tools kind of like were not capable of finding it and where Pyroscope really shined. Okay. Yeah, other examples, you know, we found people using it for their test suites and they were able to kind of similarly find Areas where they weren't even looking, where their programs were spending a lot of time. Another good example that I like is um, this one company used it. They used it with our eBPF integration that allows you to kind of profile the whole Linux machine. And they installed it on uh, their Mongo cluster. And after they upgraded their Mongo uh, servers, they noticed that performance degraded and they couldn't figure out why. And... By using Pyroscope, they were able to find the exact functions where, you know, Mongo was spending more time now, and they were able to find the bug in, you know, Mongo bug tracker, and they were able to eventually fix it. Again, I think, like, without using something like Pyroscope, it would be very difficult to even figure out what's going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I guess I kind of see it like tracing is good for when things interact and cause 
slowness or errors. That never cops. Mm-hmm. And profiling is good for when like a single thing is causing slowness or errors. And you need to find that and isolate that thing mm-hmm. where, you know, the aggregate of another 20 milliseconds can take down your database or something. Um, you might not necessarily see that quickly in Pyroscope, but you'll catch that in your tracing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Pyroscope, you'll see that, you know, those 20 seconds are using like 100% of CPU or something like that. It's almost like um, I saw something the other day about like, you know, if your first SRE is your CFO or something like that, where you want to you want to think about where you're spending your resources. And profiling sounds like it helps you find like, where are we spending not just time, but also just like, what work are we doing? Mm-hmm. And do mm-hmm. we want to be, you know, spending our resources yeah. on that work? Yeah, I think that, that that you know hopping the network is a very good guideline for people to just because it, it doesn't really help much if you're hopping the network a lot, and it does help if you aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been very delightful to have you. Thank you for coming by, Dimitri. Yeah, thanks for having me. Shelby, did you? Oh yes. Um, so this is actually my last episode on Ollicast, at least as a host. Maybe I'll come back as a guest someday. Absolutely. It's been delightful having you. You've been a wonderful co-host. Thank you so much. That was a delightful conversation that I enjoyed and hope you did too. If you're interested in being a guest in this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. Hope to see you next time.